Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week and I hope you enjoyed last week's episode on Optikin and Microdase Diff. So before we get started, remember that Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Pandora, Overcast. So whatever you listen to your podcast, you can listen to Let's Talk Micro. It is also available on iHeartRadio. So you just search Let's Talk Micro and you'll find me there. On some of the sites, you might have to scroll a little more than others, uh, but you can see the picture. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro One. So please go ahead and follow me. Um, you know, I like to post pictures of organisms, of the biochemicals that I'm talking about. So please go ahead and follow me. You know, I can't believe it's already, we're already on episode nine. So we're really moving along. There's so many topics to talk about. So I want to appreciate all of you, all of you that um, have downloaded the podcast and listened to it. All of you students out there, all of you microbiologists out there, go ahead and share it. Tell someone about Let's Talk Micro. I'm trying to promote it as much as I can through the social media. Um, so if you, whenever you have your fellow students, co-workers say, you know, hey, I listened to this podcast about micro, it's interesting, it's basic micro. So go ahead and spread the word, please. I truly appreciate it. So on our last episode, I finished going over the biochemicals for gram-positive cocci and rods, you know, for your GPRs or gram-positive rods. You know, mostly your user catalase, there are, there are more out there. Of course, but your very basic one is the catalase. And some species, of course, are positive, some are negative. And then the gram positive cocci, you know, we talked about catalase, coagulase, PYR, strep typing, optokin, and microdasis. You know, with these biochemicals, like I mentioned in the last episode, you'll have no trouble you know, performing some basic, basic IDs on these organisms, you know, unfortunately, as we move along, you know, like we get more modern with more technology, with the Molotov, some of these biochemicals, you know, they, they, they are being used less and less, you know, they're very helpful, like I mentioned before. Um, and I think I've seen this mostly on the younger generations, no offense, of course. But it's, I can see the reasoning. It's like, why perform all this stuff when I can have an ID, you know, in 10 minutes? I do get it, but like I always say, and once I talk about automation, I will build up more on this. But you have to know what you're looking at. You have to rec recognize the morphology of your organisms. You have to recognize the biochemicals. So you know that you have a correct ID because, right, um, the Molotov does not set itself up. It takes a person to actually set up the sample. It takes a person to scan the ID. So there's human error here. So you can scan the wrong patient. If you don't know what you're looking at, 
and you're not the one that it's performing the Molotov yourself, because it happens, you know, especially if you're a large facility, you have so many cultures to go through that you might have a person that's assigned to doing Vitek or doing Molotov. So what if this person doesn't know what they're talking about, you know, what they're looking at? And you tell them, go ahead and, you know, you give them a plate, you write on your plate, you know, moldy. And then they don't know the organism that they're supposed to set up. They set up the wrong one. And then the person that's accepting the ID might be you, or you might have some help. Maybe that person doesn't know what they're looking at either. So they accept the wrong ID. So then you release that wrong ID and the patient might get put on the wrong treatment. So this is something that I always like to say. Even though, and don't get me wrong, I have nothing against the Molotov. I love it. There, it, it makes your life easier in so many ways. For example, when you're working anaerobes, you release that ID so fast. Um, and you're done with them. When you're trying to uh, ID organisms that do not require susceptibilities, like Aerococcus urinae, you put it on the Molotov, you ID it, you're done. You know, with your group A, group B straps, it makes it easier. You know, Staph saprophyticus, you typically don't do susceptibilities on the urine bench. You see it, it fits the criteria, you want to rule out Staph saprophyticus, you put it on your Molotov, and then you're done with it. So it definitely makes your life easier in a lot of ways. But however, it, it causes that problem that I've been talking about, that you want to, it's going to give you the answer so you don't do the biochemicals. And that can create some problems. And you can potentially put your patients in harm. And this is all about the patients. So, you know, and it was, it's interesting because I was working in the lab uh, recently and the Molotov was down because there were no supplies. So now we're doing back everything old school. You know, with your doing as many biochemicals as you can, doing IDs. So some techs are saying, oh, I don't, I don't like this. It seems it takes longer. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's a, it's a matter of adjusting your process because people did not like the Maldi at the beginning. And I think sometimes, you know, it can take you a little bit longer, especially if you're in line waiting to put your slide in. And don't worry about it. I will touch on the Maldi talk on a later episode. But at least you microbiologists that work in the lab, you know what I'm talking about. So I think sometimes it, you know, it might take you longer. But we'll talk about that later. And I always like to touch briefly on, maybe sometimes not so briefly, about what I covered in the last episode. So we talked about, right, we talked about optokin, which is not a biochemical, but it's a helpful tool as part of your differential. You know, Streptococcus pneumonia is a serious pathogen and we need to rule it out. So typically it is mucoid and you need that zone of 14 millimeters to presumptively identify it as strep pneumo, right? If the organism is susceptible to it, there's a ring around the disc and you measure that zone. You know, sometimes you don't get that zone and you need to perform an alternate method of ID such as Vitek. 
or like I mentioned, the Molotov, and you get that ID fairly quickly. We also talk about the Microdase disk. Uh, you see Microcaucus mostly in blood cultures as a contaminant, right? We talked about that. And this is, you know, this disk is a quick method of identifying it. So typical presentation, you have a positive blood culture, gram stain is gram positive coxine clusters. You put a sample in your nucleic acid method, like your Luminex. It comes back as not detected. You know, it doesn't detect an ID. It doesn't provide you an ID. And then on the bench, you get Micrococcus. So you go ahead and put some colonists in that disk, observe it for your color change, and you're done. And then you go ahead and release it as Micrococcus species. And that's the end of it. So we have officially wrapped the biochemicals for the gram-positive coxide, and we touch on the rods. Always keep in mind, there are more, but these are very commonly used nowadays. I mean, especially in the US. I want to start doing maybe a, a segment where I talk to techs from other parts of the world to see what they're doing, you know, and compare and contrast. But we'll get there. But there are more biochemicals other than these, of course. But with the ones that I have talked about, you'll be good at identifying most of the coxine. So today, we start talking about biochemicals from your for your gram-negative rods. There are also many out there. And two of the most basic ones are endo and oxidase. So let's go ahead and start with indole. So what is indole used for? It is used to determine the organism's ability to hydrolyze tryptophan to form the compound indole. So a color compound is formed and you have different indole tests out there. One of the most common ones used it's the DMACA, DMACA, which is made by BD. With this one, a positive reaction is a blue color, and a negative reaction is when you have no color change. Right? So positive is blue, negative, there's no color change. So which worm negative rods do we use this for? Well, of course, one of the most common groups that we use the indole for, most common type of gram-negative rods, it's the Enterobacteriaceae. And what are the Enterobacteriaceae? Well, this is a large group of gram-negative rods. We're going to get kind of technical. So some of its members are part of the human intestinal flora. You know, they are facultative anaerobes. And these are actually some of the most common organisms encountered in the clinical lab. So, like I said, some of it are part of the human intestinal flora, like E. coli, Proteus, Morganella, Klebsiella, and some are not. Can you guess which ones aren't? Well, let's start with Salmonella and Shigella, 
All of you have heard about salmonella out there. When we get these outbreaks, you know, like in the peanut butter, um, and some eggs. So definitely salmonella is part of this group, but it is not part of the human intestinal flora. It is part of the animal flora. Which brings me, I always like to tell stories of things I heard that, I'm, that I have been through. So I met this tech once that she actually, she worked for a, well, she, her hospital had a contract with a zoo. So they brought samples over there. So she saw all kind of, all kinds of samples. You know, like she tested cultures on camels, snakes, uh, chickens. You know, she said it was kind of like a, a little freaky when you do like a stool culture on a chicken, because as you know, salmonella is part of the the chicken flora. So you get all this, you know, this plate full of salmonella and you're like, oh my God. And then you're like, wait, it's chicken. I don't know. I find it humorous. But of course, you know, in humans, salmonella, it's not part of the flora. So it is pathogenic. And definitely the states, you know, depending on the state that you are, all, well, all the states, it's like a reportable organism. So when you have a salmonella, you have to send a sample to the state you work on. So they can do the proper typing. That way they keep track for epidemiology purposes to make sure that you have a case, you know, it's either like an isolated case or you might have some sort of outbreak. So that's why, of course, since it's part of the chicken flora, you have your always, you know, make sure that you cook your eggs properly. When you have like cookie batter, you know, it tells you it has like raw egg. Make sure you you know, heat your product to the appropriate temperature. Always with your chicken. Make sure that whatever you're preparing your chicken, always disinfect your area. You know, with your bleach wipes, properly clean the area. That way you don't get sick. You know, it can cause, it can cause uh, gastrointestinal problems, diarrhea. So it's, it's a serious organism. So that's why as soon as they detect an outbreak, they announce it on the news and they let us know and they pull the product. They do a recall on it. And then we have Shigella, which is also not a part of the human intestinal flora. It is only found during time of infection. So, you know, these organisms, they're, they're typically transmitted, like I said, with salmonella when you have contaminated products. Um, and also when... You have overcrowded areas, so it can be transmitted from person to person, spread by the fecal oral route. So, you know, they have been a part where there's human waste, like stool, and maybe the area is not properly clean. When you have when you don't have clean water, um, you might get contaminated. You might get sick that way. So these are two very serious organisms that are part of the Enterobacteriaceae. But going back to the Enterobacteriaceae as a group, so the other ones that I mentioned, they can be in other intestinal flora, but then they're pathogenic outside other areas of the body. 
like you know of course E. coli. E. coli, some strains of E. coli can cause some serious GI problems, but overall, you know, it's intestinal flora. But when you have it outside of that area, it can cause problems. I mean, E. coli, it's the, it's the number one cause of UTIs. It's the most common one. So if you're on the urine bench, you see E. coli once, you see it 40, 50, 50 times. It's a very common organism. So with the Enterobacteriaceae, the indole is an important test. So you have on this group, some species are indole positive and some species are indole negative. And let's talk about that. So you have for your positive, let's start with the positive. So you have E. coli. You can have Proteus vulgaris. We can have Klebsiella oxytoca. Now, granted, there is a small percentage of E. coli that can be indole negative, but overall they're positive. So, when you have an in, when you have an indole negative organism, that it is identified as E. coli, you have to confirm that. Repeat your indole and confirm that ID by another method. One fact about E. coli is actually it's very similar at the RNA level to Shigella. So some instruments like the Molotov, they cannot differentiate between both of them. So at that point in time, you do your test. I mean, E. coli is indole positive, and that should be the one that will differentiate it. And of course, if it's lactose-fermenting, that's another one, but E. coli can be also non-fermenter. And that's something that we'll talk about another time. And then Perus vulgaris, like I said, and Klebsiella oxytoca. And then we have some that are negative, like you have Proteus mirabilis. You can have uh, Klebsiella pneumoniae, Enterobacter cloacae, and Enterobacter erogenes, which is now called Klebsiella erogenes. And I've been saying all this time, Enterobacteriaceae, that's when we started. Uh, when I started, that's what they were called. Now they are called the Enterobacteriales. And for you students out there, these are very typical questions when you're doing your clinical rotations. I have mentioned also that I, that I dab in teaching, and I like to ask it as well, ask this question, these questions as well. If you have a Klebsiella that's indole positive, what's the species and then you will say Klebsiella oxytoca and then if it's in indole negative Klebsiella pneumoniae so these are questions that we like to do case studies or we give you let's say i give you a plate that has Klebsiella and i say it on the question this organism was id as Klebsiella the tech performed an indole test and it was negative what is the most likely ID of this organism? And that's what you say, Klebsiella pneumoniae. Or if you're given the question, the same question with an indole positive result, that's where you say, well, it's probably Klebsiella oxytoca. The same thing with Proteus. That's another question that uh, techs that are training you, lab instructors, they like to ask. If you have a Proteus that's indole negative, What's the most likely ID? 
versus indole positive. So you will say for negative produce mirabilis and then for positive indole vulgaris. And that's at the basic level when you're learning. I mean, once you get to the bench, you know that there's also Proteus, you know, the, there used to be the Proteus vulgaris group where you have Proteus vulgaris, Proteus hauseri, and Proteus peneri. But now we know that Proteus peneri is indole negative. And then hauseri and vulgaris are positive. But when you're learning, when you're getting started, you know, there's so much information. I mean, this not, not only applies for micro, but for other areas as well. So we kind of like to keep it simple when you were teaching or asking you on the ASCP. And then as you get to the work area, you start learning more and more. So for your indole positive, Proteus vulgaris. For your indole negative, Proteus mirabilis. And then also let's move. Now we start moving away from the Enterobacteriaceae or Enterobacterialis. And then we can also use your indole for your pastorella, which is positive. And then Haemophilus, which is positive as well. We can also use it for non-fermenting gram-negative rods. And what are non-fermenting gram-negative rods? You know, they are a group of organisms that they do not ferment lactose. They are implicated in various diseases such as UTIs, septicemia, and some of these are actually seen in the cystic fibrosis patients. Um, you know, some of these they include, but they are not limited to Pseudomonas, Burkholderia, Acinetobacters, Stenotrophomonas, Echromobacter, Eromonas, Flavobacterium, Myroides, Comomonas, and Shiwonella. And a quick story about Shiwonella. Well, it's not a story. It's just like I encountered them. I encountered it a few years ago. Um, so Shiwonella is a, normally is an environmental and food organism. You know, and it's not part of the human flora. And a lot of times it's transmitted. Uh, when the infections, they're associated when the person is exposed to aquatic and marine habitats. And you typically see it in mixed cultures. And it has been implicated in cellulitis, otitis media, and septicemia. So I definitely see it. I personally, I have seen it mostly in, in some mixed cultures. A lot of times you have diabetic patients. You know, they have these wounds that they would not heal heal and you have at least three or four organisms you have a combination of pseudomonas stenotrophomonas sometimes you know you have acinetobacter in addition you have many enterobacteriaceae so it's a lot of organisms so at that point in time you have to make a decision based on the guidelines and what you work up and what you mix but circling back to shiwanella it smells horrible and it's not like you're actively i always say you know you should not smell plates in the lab so i'm not actively trying to smell it but it smells like i don't know i have like something is decayed like something dead so i don't know maybe like some really bad trash i have never smelled like a, a, a decomposing body and i'm glad and I hope I never get to, 
but I will think that that's what it will smell like. It was such a foul smell. But yeah, there's Shiwanala for you. As a micro-nerd, it's always exciting when you see these organisms that you rarely see, at least in my facility. You might work in a facility where it might be more common. But like I said, it's just I tend to see it more in those mixed infections, those mixed cultures. And so as far as results for your indole on your non-fermenting gram-negative rods, we also get some varied results. You know, you have Pseudomonas aeruginosa, which is your most common non-fermenting gram-negative rod that you see in the lab. So for your enterobacteriales, you see E. coli, and then Pseudomonas for your non-fermenters. So just like E. coli, you will see it in almost every source that you get. Like any wound culture, urine culture, uh, respiratory cultures. So there's very common organisms that you can see them outside where you can see them in many parts of the body when you're working in the bench. And then you also have Aromonas, which is positive. Um, Aromonas is a stool pathogen and it causes infections. You know, it causes gastrointestinal infections. And then you have Flavobacterium, which is indole positive. Other two that you have are Acinetobacter, which is indole negative, and Stenotrophomonas, which is negative. So you get some mixed results with your indole here. But definitely, this is a very important test. It's always good to know, expect the result. That way, when you get that ID, you can correlate it. You know what you're looking at. If you get a questionable reaction, you correlate that with your organism. And that way, you make sure that you are releasing the ID of the proper organism so the patient can get the appropriate antibiotic therapy. And that brings us to oxidase, which we will actually talk about it on the next episode. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening about Indole. Like always, I enjoyed talking about it. Stay motivated. Stay safe. Continue bringing that motivation to your job. Do the best you can. Um, when Yesterday, I was in the lab and I, I started my day with a huge stack of plates. There's no way. There's no better start to your day than that. So... Continue your motivation, continue bringing your passion, and continue talking micro. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week, and until next time.